Hello, everybody. This is Parker Black, and we're back with another episode of High Culture with Low Friends. And I am here with my friend, Paul Wolf Holloman. And today we are going to talk about one of the many genres that fall within the pop culture universe, and that is science fiction. Woohoo! It is probably one of the more, I don't know, popular but more common ones, along with fantasy, that falls into the universe that is pop culture. At least now. Now, especially now, <laughs> yeah. Um, Thank you, Game of Thrones and Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, all those have done it. Um, I mean, Star Trek, of course, is a, is a is a a big one. I think that the new Dune movie brought that back into oh yeah popularity. Um, I mean, science fiction has always been a big common thing. There's the Aliens franchise, the Predator franchise. Oh, all yeah. those are super popular. Um, there was a big thing with The Expanse being a TV show for a while that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it was. I remember. Yeah, I, I still need to get caught up on that. I, yeah, I haven't <laughs> seen the most recent episode, the most the most recent seasons. I saw uh, season one, season two, and I was like, man, this is fantastic. Yeah, they're great. The books are good too. If you'd like to read oh, um, those, yeah, books. they're based on a book, which ironically, um, if I recall, was based on an RPG that the writers were playing together. No kidding. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's talk some sci-fi. Uh, what exactly makes up science fiction? What uh, defines science fiction from not science fiction? Uh, because there are a lot of things out there that you could technically say, oh, there's science fiction elements to it, but they do not fall within the science fiction category. So we need a definition. Yeah. So what do you think the definition of science fiction is? Me? Sure. Oh, well. <laughs> I think, you know, for me, I've, I've always clumped science fiction and fantasy together because oh, a lot of people do. that's how I came to it, right? We said this in a previous episode that science fiction is fantasy in space, fantasy is... Science fiction with swords. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Instead of, instead of aliens, you get elves. Instead of laser guns, you get I, magic. I, I think for me... Um, when I hear the word science fiction, I have certain expectations. I expect there to be an element of science. Um, mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be like, you know, laser guns or blasters, pew, 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 <laughs> you know, spaceships. Uh, it could be like, for instance, uh, I mentioned uh, in our last episode talking about books, um, um, a writer that uh, mentored me for a while named Terry Watts. And he was by profession a marine biologist okay he knew about the seas he was that was his thing that's what he got his education in and then at some point he went hey i want to be a writer and he wrote this uh story about these people who are hand chosen because of their behavioral eccentricities to be part of a crew that's at the bottom of the marianas trench because it takes a certain kind of person to be able to handle long periods of time in a cold, quiet, silent, isolated environment, right? Yeah. And so there's a, you know, a lot, a huge portion of, you know, this story takes place at the, like I said, at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. And, um, they have to wear the they wear these special suits that allows them to essentially breathe underwater and, and not like you know like a diver suit kind of thing but you know this is for like high because it's at the bottom of the, the ocean yeah. French, right and these pressure suits and they have to go through all this stuff so you know obviously terry watts when he said i want to write and i'm going to write science fiction He's going to write about the science he knows, marine biology, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I want to, when I science fiction, I want to see some element of science, whatever it is, whether it's marine biology, um, uh, zoology, um, astronomy, um, you know, one of the best sort of space sci-fis. You don't get any kind of space travel until the very end of the movie contact Carl Sagan right, yeah. right? <laughs> because it's and and when you you know Carl Sagan the most 
prolific science writer um, of like the 70s and 80s, right, who knew his stuff. So you've got this good science in there. So when you watch Contact, the movie, or read the book, it's very believable, right? There's there's a, a level of realism there that, that pulls you into that environment, that universe. So that's number one. Is the the second thing for me is, and I've talked about this before, is that whether it's a TV, a movie, a book, um, even a video game, um, there needs to be a human interest story where the protagonist transforms, whether it's behaviorally. Um, or, you know, whether it's figuratively or literally, they transform from one thing to another between the beginning and the end of the story, okay? And the story needs to have, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be relatable, but I, I think it has to, I, I like science fiction with a message. I think the best science fiction is science fiction with a message. So that's an element that I look for when I hear science fiction. Fantasy, I don't need that. I, I don't have to have a message in fantasy, although we still get plenty of it. Yeah. I, I remember having a conversation with one of our friends that we have, have talked about before, uh, you know, asking them, hey, you know, what do you think the meaning of, you know, of uh, Lord, of, Lord of the Rings is? And they're like, uh, it has a meaning? <laughs> yeah. There's actually a lot of meanings in there. You know, there's a couple of different ones you could choose from, and it, you know, um, so it, you know, it, you still get it there, yeah. but, but I don't require it out of fantasy as much as I do science fiction. And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because of the stuff I've written, but, uh, that, you know, I was, I was just thinking about that because I don't require either a message in either French. Oh, I don't require a message in anything that I read, write or watch. Um, and I think that is because of what you've read in the past and the, and, and the way that you write, when you write science fiction, it has to have that meaning and that message because a lot of the books that you've read and that you talked about have that message. Right, that could be. Yeah, I've been I've been corrupted <laughs> with a, with a need for meaning. Yeah, I mean, because 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 like you said, forty two. <laughs> everything has a meaning at some point in time, whether the author or writer has inscribed or intended a meaning. There is somebody's going to sit down and go, well, here's the meaning to this person's story. Now the author may be like, yeah, no, nah, man, that's not what I meant at all. <laughs> but somebody's going to interpret it in, a, in an entire way, which is why I had a lot of problem with English in high school. Um, quick, quick story. Has nothing to do with science fiction, but it, it begs your point. I was in an English honors series at Ball State when I was there. And uh, one of my favorite professors, a guy by the name of Bill McGrath, uh, who uh, sometimes taught, um, he could uh, he could uh, manifest um, emotions through vocalization. Uh, rather than describing something with a word, he would describe it with a noise. It was absolutely astounding. I used to love when he would do that. But he, we were... We had this, we, we were reading uh, uh, Woodsworth, um, the, the, the poet writer from I don't know, 1824, something like that. And there's this poem that he, that, that, that he did that it literally says, and the sun sank low and the day became the night. And so he reads this and he says to us, a show of hands, all right, who, who knows the meaning behind this? And of course, there's always that one that one kid that's like, oh, oh, I know. He's talking about the ebb and flow of time and, and how how we become, at, at, you know, age. Uh, we age and become old and, you know, death comes and knock and all that. And he went, wrong. <laughs> he meant literally the sun goes down and it, and it becomes night. Because Woodsworth was very literal. He, he wasn't a metaphorical kind of guy. So wrong <laughs> yeah, I, I think a lot of people look for metaphor when there isn't one yeah yeah you know? so so what is it what, what is uh what's your definition of science fiction pretty similar i i think there has to be a science element to me that science element has to be for lack of a better term futuristic 
um, at least based on our technology as it is now. There has to be a technological advancement, whether it be space travel, time travel, um, robots, whatever you want, whatever you want to look at it. But there's got to be some sort of technological, um, what did I say, advancement. How, how, do you, how, how do you account for steampunk? Ooh. <laughs> steampunk is one of those ones that's kind of like those other ones with like ray punk and diesel punk and all the other things that you can attach the word punk to. <laughs> it is, some of them are mixtures of science fiction and, and, and fantasy. Some of them are just different types of technological it, it, advancement. And I think steampunk is that one. It's kind of like the uh, a good example of this is the uh, um, uh, Fallout video game, uh, Fallout video game series. They took the atomic age of the 1950s and 1960s and went running with it. So everything's based on atomic. You have cars with atomic powered engines. You have a refrigerator that uses an atomic power compressor. Steampunk's the same thing. Same technology, different branch. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, it is still science fiction, air quotes. Um, but they, like I said, they took a technology, steam, and went rolling with it. I think uh, air quotes is going to be one of our catchphrases. Air quotes. I want a t-shirt. We need a high culture, low friends t-shirt that just says air quotes. Yep. That's I'm gonna, down. That's going to be a thing. Maybe like a picture of some air quotes. Some fingers <laughs> from the air quotes. <laughs> so you don't need meaning in your science fiction. I don't need meaning in my anything. <laughs> you can take that. Uh, you want it. But I, I'd rather not take it at all. But <laughs> There's no meaning in that statement. So do you think. All right, so we know science fiction shows up in a lot of medium. A yes. Lot, a lot of media. It has a lot of medium. I'm getting my words mixed up. You, I mean, yeah. In, but, in short, you can find it everywhere in everything. Yeah, TV, movies, books, video, video games. games, music. Yeah. I can see science fiction and music. Yeah. And, and again, I just thought of a steampunk reference. <laughs> I don't know why. It's because we were talking about our buddy. Yeah. That's it's, why I'm thinking of Steve like that. Yeah, uh, uh, the giraffe guys. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, steam, uh, steam, steam powered power, giraffe. Steam powered giraffe. Yeah, those giraffe, guys. Yeah. Um, but, uh, oh, David Bowie. Yeah. Oh, or Bowie, Bowie, for those who don't like Bowie. I can see um, that. I mean, there's some other bands that I listen to. Um, uh, Major Tom. That's what I'm trying to think of. Yeah, that's that's kind of got like a science fiction vibe to it, you know. Yes. And he was, wasn't he in the movie, The, the Man Who Fell to Earth? David Bowie? I he think he was. Been, I, I think he was. I mean, there's even some electronica bands that you could probably argue are oh, yeah. futuristic. Um, oh, yeah. I can't, for some reason, they're one of my favorites. I really can't think of the name oh, of the band. Oh, music video. Avatar does a music video for a song called Colossus, which has a definite sort of futuristic, uh, where, you know, a robot, uh, in the video, a, a robot is a, like really huge, gargantuan, colossal. Mm-hmm. Um, a robot is trying to deconstruct a human to figure out how to make one. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a well, really crazy video. Well, and yeah. then I think at one point in time, Daft Punk put a whole uh, album to an anime-ish oh, yeah, yeah. music video. Good it was stuff. very science fiction-y. Yeah, I, yeah that's uh, Daft Punk. Let's hear it for... Yeah. That's some awesome stuff. There's I, I could go off on a whole tangent just talking about Daft Punk. But yes, I, but I won't. <laughs> Maybe someday. Yeah, we'll do an episode on Daft Punk someday. So awesome. Uh, so I guess considering that fact that it's everywhere, then the exposure is everywhere. And again, I think if we reference something we talked about in our Star Wars episode that, um, you know, there there's a hundred years of science fiction before Star Wars. Yeah. You know, you got the, the, the father, the grandfather of science fiction, um, Jules Verne, and the um, grandmother of science fiction, uh, Mary Shelley, um, Frankenstein. It's pronounced Frankenstein. <laughs> Why did I not see that coming? <laughs> and <laughs> so, yeah, so the, uh, but the, the, the entrance of science fiction into the mainstream really, 
um, happened because of Star Wars. Um, and then, and then if we if we talk about fantasy in the same vein, Lord of Rings did for fantasy what Star Wars did for science fiction. Yeah, I mean, and, and I sort of agree. Even though science fiction had been around for a long period of time, I mean. Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, I mean, Edgar Rice Burroughs is, is, a, oh, is yeah. a, a big one, too. I mean, the, science fiction has been around for a long point in time, but I, I like, like like we did say in the Star Wars thing, I, I do think Star Wars was the one that really brought it to, for lack of a better term, well, actually the correct term would be the masses. Yeah. Because at the time, it was mostly probably people who were already into sci-fi and knew where to find the books and knew where to find that kind of stuff and were already enjoying it. And then Star Wars was the ones that went, hey, look, everybody else, this this exists. And, you know, and uh, maybe we can jump more into this um, in uh, segment two, but um, you just made me realize something else that I hadn't thought about. Uh, no matter whether it's pre-Star Wars going all the way back to the 1800s, or modern, there is one type of science fiction that is always with us and that never goes away and that we as a culture seem to be a little bit, I don't know, obsessed with. And that is the dystopian future. Oh, Lord. <laughs> there, You're not kidding. There's, there's very little, there's more dystopia than there is utopia in science fiction and i i i don't i find that a little alarming maybe because it's more realistic <laughs> and i find that alarming i mean <laughs> i often joke but i'm mildly serious when i say my retirement plan is a collapsed modern society <laughs> so okay all right uh more to come on that <laughs> in segment two Welcome back to segment two of our sci-fi episode, and we are going to talk about what we like and dislike about science fiction and what that means to us, as well as the differences in hard and soft science fiction. For those of you who don't know what that means, hopefully we'll explain it to you. Yeah. So, <laughs> what do you think? What do I think? Um, it's funny because just as we were uh, preparing to hit the record button on this segment, I suddenly remembered a, uh, a science fiction book that I listened to. And, and you know, um, so uh, here's something else. So, see, now my I got like two different trains of thoughts going on in my head at the same time, and those trains are about to collide. Awkward. Um, <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I found, I was... I, when it comes to books, we talked about books in the last episode. When it comes to, to books and reading, in the past, I have been a bit of a purist. Um, I didn't mention this in our last episode, but you and I both have been digitizing our collections. Yes. Right. I like having, I got like three different tablets, two of which are Kindles. Right. And I love it. I love the idea of having my library at my fingertips. Yes. But I can't walk into Barnes and Noble without walking out with a book. And I love the feel of a book. I love the, the smell of the pages. Yeah. There is something visceral in discovering a new book and having it in your hand and going, oh, I'm going to read this book despite the fact that oftentimes it goes on my shelf for a long time before I actually read it. Yeah. But, but there's, um, I have found that when I was having difficulties getting back into reading, uh, even though I was trying to read my thing, which is science fiction, <clears throat> that I was still having trouble uh, time is my enemy. Time is my yeah, immortal, no, I, I immortal enemy, right? And I've I've gotten better over the past year of figuring out how to manage time. Um, having said that, though, I have I found that one of the cures, one of the ways to feel less guilty, at least, 
is that um, I listen to books. Mm -hmm. I've gotten, I had an Audible um, account for like a whole year. And I listened to a ton of stuff. And that really sucked me back into it. So that I was, it made me even more um, motivated to, to pick up a physical copy and, and start digging in. So it's like I have I have I have a book that I'm reading on my Kindle. I have a hard copy book that I have beside the bed that I read, um, and then I have books that I still have slated to listen to in the car on my uh, synchronized system. So um, all of that to say this: <laughs> I read a book, which means I listened to a book in this case that I downloaded that reminded me why I like science fiction so much because, and I'm, I'm sure you could probably say this about any genre, but I think science fiction really lends itself to the surprise. There are so many ways to find a unique avenue um, to touch people with science fiction, in my opinion. I think because of the fact that science fiction envelops technology and space and spaceships and the future and creatures. And I mean, there's so many things that can fall under the umbrella of science fiction right. that it make that it really lends itself to creating a new, unique reading or listening experience, new twists, new ways to tell old stories etc yeah and and wanted a book that a science fiction novel that that really exemplifies that for me was this book that i got and, and I'm, I'm actually pulling it up because i want to get the title right on this because it's just um it was such a good book it's uh it's one of many books in the babaverse <laughs> and and I may, it, it may take me, I, see, now I'm wasting my, I should have had this ready. But I didn't think, I didn't think about it until we started talking about it. I like, um, I'm getting to where I like, um, you know, I like humor. Right. When humor, um, think um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. You know, when humor is inf infused into my science fiction. I like that more now. I didn't, I, not so much before, because like I said, I was reading Asimov and Herbert. Yeah. And, you know, and now, um, yeah. But I mean, what, what are your big, like, when you think of the things that really stand out as this is why I read science fiction, what, what you know, where do you go? Uh, I, for, for me, a lot of it has to do with that whole, as we, I think we mentioned in a previous episode, escapism. Um, you know, it takes me to a place that's not here to, uh, to sort of quote Star Trek to a new frontier. Um, you get to see things that I, you know, I, I'm big into technology. So that whole space, spaceships, super tech, all that kind of stuff is very interesting to me. So it, I, I, I like seeing that and I like being able to take part in that kind of stuff gotcha in that futuristic you know thing i think i think when i started that was that was definitely a cornerstone of of my science fiction experience was that that um the the realms of the unknown the realms of the unexplored so i found it um the the book is called for we are many we are bob it's book one in the Bob Verse saga. And it's by uh, oh shoot, there's a there's a, a a banner right across the last name. The first name is Dennis. It looks like Tav something. Um, <laughs> the the it's a story. A quick synopsis is the story is uh, is the future. A guy um, uh, essentially dies. His soul. His um, consciousness is transferred into a computer and then the um that mm -hmm. is then um his conscious is taken from that data bank into a ship 
and this spaceship is going out into the universe to look for worlds worlds to colonize and when he realizes that he's a ship now because he thinks he's still human and he's not he's a ship and this ship has the capability of uh mining and harvesting and resourcing from planetoids and debris and space and and all this kind of thing and then creating whoop, a clone of the ship and so now there's another bob hmm. but what happens is over time there's so many bobs he starts giving the other bobs different names so one becomes homer uh in in, in honor of homer simpson one becomes and the thing is each time his consciousness is cloned duplicated for these machines they take on new characters characteristics traits and behaviors oh, what it, was that movie um <laughs> multiplicity uh with michael keaton yeah mine because i haven't seen that movie yeah but i yeah i know what you're talking about yeah yeah this book oh, it's one of the best things i've read slash listened to and um it, it's just amazing it, i never I never would have imagined that story before I heard it. And when I, when I saw the description, I was like, oh my goodness, I have to read that. That is made. I have to listen to that. That's the most amazing thing I've ever heard. That's what I like about science fiction. Mm. The surprise of finding something that is so unique and so different um, that it just makes me giddy. I mean, yeah. literally giddy. So I, yeah, that's, that's my answer for, I understand that. So I and that that's probably number one. I don't think there's there's a better answer than that for me. No, I mean that makes perfect <laughs> sense. All right, then what do you not like about science fiction? Oh that's I, that's a that's a harder question to answer. And and I think there's um on some levels, um the, the exact opposite of what I was I you know when I, especially when it comes to movies or TV, and I see a story or a concept rehashed for the umpteenth time, and again, it seems like science fiction kind of lends itself to these knockoffs. But then again, so does fantasy. Fantasy is really bad about yes. that too, because are. you know. Uh, how many how many ways are there to tell the story about you know the king the fight for the king's throne um and and I, i'll be honest with you having good or bad whatever your opinion is of game of thrones having seen game of thrones i don't want to see another movie about the fight for a king's throne or about an usurper or any of that. just give it time there'll, there'll be at least six more <laughs> i know so i i don't um I don't like um, I don't like the redundancy that tends to occur, especially if I'm if I'm if um, if the book notes are misleading and I buy a book thinking it's one thing and then I start reading I'm like crap I've read this story before different names different author same story yeah but I mean that's really when you get down to it I mean how much more and this is more of a subjective question how much more um, original stuff is actually out there you know how much more original stories are there to be thought up to be created i mean everything really is just sort of a retelling of the same thing which is probably in a different manner that's probably the reason why when you do find something unique it makes it even more special because you're like oh my god nobody's done this yeah which it's very rare yeah but i mean you know there's a theory there's this literary well it's it's not just literary the creative theory that that every song has been written um every book has been written every story has been told just in different ways yeah um i saw something not too long ago um somewhere on social media uh, no it might have been youtube where they were talking about how there are only 39 stories in in the world and that's it all all stories can basically be matched up to one of those 39 it's just how the story is told um i haven't seen the full theory on that and seen the, the 39 archetypes so i don't i can't say whether i agree or disagree with that particular theory but i do think that 
you know, there, there is, there's a, there's a re, if you go back, we were talking earlier about, um, the, um, you know, the history of science fiction. If you go back and you look at the stories that Jules Verne wrote, Edgar Rice Burroughs, H.G. Wells, um, even, you know, Mary Shelley, you look at those founding fathers of the science fiction genre and you write down, okay, what's, what's this story about? And you write it down. I think you're bound to find that, that since then there's been, you know, a couple hundred stories exactly like that. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure you could trace back on those. Yeah. I mean, and that's sort of what I was kind of saying is, is that even though it's a different title, different characters and different world and slightly different story at the end of the day, when you really break it down, it's essentially the same thing. Right. You know, hero rescues, princess destroys despot kind of, thing let's see here's to go back to my original what do i like about it here's what i really love is when an author knowingly takes a story that's already known like um hero rescues princess and then flips it or twists it and so instead of you know, maybe you have a story. No, I don't want to give that one away because that's my idea. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, maybe it's the heroine that, that rescues the, the the prince. You know, maybe it's the other way around. We could have a, we can do a swap gender roles, you know, or, yeah. you know, maybe, uh, maybe the prince is tired of the princess and takes the princess to the dragon and says, here, you can have her. <laughs> so I think... When, when they knowingly take, you know, something, that, an expectation that you have for a story, and then they do something, you know, eccentric or weird. I guess that's the reason why I appreciate the humor in my science fiction more now, because a lot of times those quirky kind of stories come from, from doing just that. Yeah. No, so, yeah. And, 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 and yeah, I'm, <laughs> I, I agree. What do you, what do you dislike? I just like when people take stuff too seriously. It's usually not from the author or from the movie themselves, but when people look at it and they're like, well, that can never happen, blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, this might be soft science, science, science fiction. So why can't you just... It, suspension of, dis, of, dis, of disbelief. Right. People hold too highly to that thing well that's not how that works in real life right just let it go so yeah. my dislike of science fiction is not from the media but from the consumers and and that may be that may be a problem i i think that may be more of a problem with modern science fiction because there is this because we live in such a world of technology there is an expectation that we will have the science in our science fiction and that it'll be good science right instead of bad science and sometimes you know sometimes the bad science is more entertaining oh yeah <laughs> than, definitely. The, than the good science yeah so I mean, and i'm not by any means saying that you know we should only have good science or only have bad science i like both per perfect example i'm i'm tired of movies and tv and books and everything trying to explain the time paradox i don't care yeah just, just let the, that go. the whole thing about well if you go back in time then this wouldn't have happened but it already happened or it was a, you know what back to the future perfect just leave it the way it is right okay yeah. this whole thing about well if we look at the scientific theory we'll it, we have infinite branches of i don't care it doesn't yeah. you know i don't need i don't need the creator to explain it to me just yeah. tell me a good story. You know, and, 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 and I agree with, with that. I think that instead of, you know, them trying to explain the story, it's like pick pick one, Back to the Future, or realistic time travel where it branches off into a new thing. Don't explain it. Just make it happen. And then let them try to figure out why the hell their time travel didn't work. 
Yeah. And how why everything is completely different than the than the way they than the way that they left it. I think I think the only I've only seen one show that I think did did it well anyway of of explaining the time paradox. Um and um the name of that show has escaped me because unfortunately uh it didn't last it was only two seasons it was a good show the the main character was a uh, female historian and they were going back in time um to fix things that it didn't it was not an all-star cast it was um but yeah it was on uh i think it was on nbc um shay and i my wife we we watched it and we enjoyed it. It was very good, but we, we enjoyed it because of the storytelling. Yeah, and and because of some of the twists and turns. And um, but you know they they did a good job. Of, they didn't they didn't necessarily explain all. They only explained some of it, and what they did was adequate. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so, I liked. Um, it was the, as far as I know, the more recent. <coughs> Time Machine movie, like H.G. Wells' Time Machine movie, where um, his wife his wife or his girlfriend dies or whatever, so he goes to build the time machine to... to, to um, Find her. Per, will prevent the death. Oh, oh okay. Um, and there's no spoilers here. This movie is at least 20 years old. Um, he could never save her. It never worked out because the whole reason he built the time machine was to save her life. So, in other words, he had to have, in, in order for the time machine to work and him to go back in time, she has to die no matter what. Oh. So, okay. every time he goes back to try to fix it, she gets killed or something happens and it, it just doesn't work. Because right. that's the whole reason he created the that's, time machine in the first place. That's sort of an explanation of time paradox to me that's the most simplest and clean right. description. That's not, the, that's not the Hugh Jackman one. Is I it? don't remember. I know Jeremy Irons, I think, played the Morlock bad guy, but I don't okay. remember who. That's not the huge act. I want to say Guy Pierce, but that's probably way wrong. Okay. That, all right. Well, I'll have to look into that because I don't, that's not ringing a bell with me. Yeah. So. And there were a lot of um, people complained about that movie. I don't remember <laughs> why, and I honestly don't really care. Um, well, probably because it didn't have a happy ending. Well, I think there were some um, uh, 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 plot holes or something that people were like, "Where are plot holes?" Oh well. Um, you know. I'm like, "Yes, who cares?" Plot holes. Yeah, plot holes happen. Yeah. You know. So, oh, dog. oh no, the the science fiction doggy sassy Padme, who's named after Amidala, Pad, Padme Amidala, has just entered the room to give her um, either dissent or approval on our opinions. I'm not sure which one. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't speak so, dog. I, I, sometimes I do, but I have to see the eyes. Oh, which uh, actually sometimes I get it wrong because she has a chihuahua, and fifty percent hate, fifty percent anxiety. <laughs> There's a lot of love in there too. You know, it's selective, but <laughs> anyway, um, we'll talk more about uh, selection. I don't. <laughs> in uh, in our next segment, we'll uh, we'll do some talk about. Uh, we've just mentioned it. Um, hard science fiction versus soft science fiction and kind of uh, where we're at with uh, modern science fiction versus the old stuff. And uh, we'll just continue this conversation about science fiction segment three. So when people think about science fiction, it, tends to be um spaceships outer space um, faster than light travel faster than light travel laser beams you know star trek star wars um etc and science fiction is so much more than that yes there there's a lot of different levels of science fiction and then we we alluded to this earlier um uh, tonight about the difference between hard science fiction and soft science fiction. So hard science fiction being like, man, there's there's good science. There's a lot of science. The story revolves around science, not just fiction. I think the, the easiest way to look at it is hard science fiction actually sticks to the science 
what we know right. about how science works and how time and how time travel, space travel, and all that stuff works. Hard sci-fi sticks to that. Right. Whereas soft meanders off the path. Sometimes the science is convoluted or not even obscured. There. Yeah. Yeah. So it's and it tends to be it's it's actually more fantasy, but because it doesn't have swords and sorcery, it's called science fiction instead yeah. of fantasy. The the biggest prime example or the biggest easiest example of, of this one is your generic everyday faster than light space travel. Right. Most of that's gonna be soft science fiction. Right. Not that we don't think we can do faster than light travel. But without getting into the super details, faster than light travel is almost impossible. And um, even then, it's not going to work the way that we think it does in science fiction. Well, and, and you know, um, I think it was, uh, um, was it, I was going to say, I think it was Albert Einstein, but no, I think that's a joke. I think there was, there was a, uh, might have been Will Rogers. I don't know. Somebody said. Uh, traveling at faster than life speeds um, is um, next to impossible and fairly undesirable for one's hat keeps coming off. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> that sounds like a Terry Pratchett joke. Now, um, if you look, the interesting thing about, probably both, but, but I know it more about hard sci-fi is that you even have a couple of really interesting, or at least one interesting subgenre of hard sci-fi that is really, really popular, and that's military sci-fi. Yes. And I'm myself, I've never been a huge fan of it. I don't mind it, and and I've you know watched some of it. Um, some I think Ender's Game is a little bit. Yeah military sci-fi i think but there's there's a couple of authors uh that have made a career out of military uh david drake i met david drake at one of the uh rivercon uh science fiction conventions and a good amount of of his um work was uh military sci-fi yeah the only the only military sci-fi that i know off the top of my head is the honor verse I think I've heard of that. Uh, I don't know. Cannot remember who wrote who wrote it. It's on my list of stuff to read, but it is uh, military space battles. It's essentially the way that someone described it to me was it was the age of sail and the golden age of sail in space. Yeah, yeah. I, that's that's probably a really good description. And I and I know. I mean, I've I've had friends in the past that were man, really into that. To the to the military mm -hmm. uh, science fiction because you know you get you get all those stories of honor and courage, and valor, and um, so yeah, <laughs> you know, in space they cannot hear you scream unless it is the scream of the United States Marine Corps. <laughs> what is that from? There was a movie that that was a line. So like. Starship Troopers in the Heinlein cloak. I might have been. Yeah, Starship Troopers. Uh, yeah, that's a that is an excellent a movie um, uh, version of, of, of military sci-fi. That's definitely. Although I still <laughs> I still uh, maintain. I've said this many times to people I know in the past, and I maintain this that if Robert Heinlein had seen what they did to his story, <laughs> he he yes. would have rolled over in his grave. Yes. Because the you know that that whole that whole story is supposed to be a uh, a, a almost a satirical condemnation of national socialism. And you know it's I mean there certainly in the movie there are play, you know there's nothing like seeing Doogie Howser in Gestapo gear, but you know, it's true. <laughs> but you know that um, yeah that 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 movie does not really match the message the the, the message of the movie is let's kill bugs and the message of the of the uh, 
the book is Nazis are bad. <laughs> so, yeah, a little, little different there. But uh, uh, so what which do you I, I'm going to guess you prefer soft sci-fi yeah I, I i tend to lean towards soft sci-fi I, I think mostly because it's 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 more common um at least in stuff that i've read and especially in movies and tv soft sci-fi is much more common um but not that i can't enjoy hard sci-fi i mean there's uh, no reason to not i i think i i think i prefer the hard science fiction well from 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 your science fiction background and the books that you've read and stuff oh. yeah that makes more sense well, I mean, I've, I've found some recent stuff. There was a um, one of the first, when I got back into reading again, um, back in, I'm kidding. Actually, I'm, I'm getting so old, I can't remember my dates as well. <laughs> uh, but a, a more recent book that, that I had uh, purchased um, is a book called Thunder Rift. Um, the uh, author on that is Matthew Farrell, uh, which is a pseudonym. He's actually a fellow that used to go to Rivercon and show up at Rivercon. Um, got to meet him, and he he kind of he had written more fantasy books for a long time, and then he wrote um, Thunder Rift, which was was a hard sci-fi, and um, it was a really interesting story of of going. Of you know an alien race creating a wormhole here, inviting us to go there mm. um, because they need our help, and and going there and and um, and there were some military elements to that as well because there's a lot of apprehension like what if this is it's a trap, and um, and it was one of those because that it I see that book as as being hard. Um, sci-fi because of again those element there's a lot of different elements of science even though you know it's not it's not hard and fast science they they play loose with it he he plays loose with it um and he kind of creates some new science one of the interesting things about this is that this alien culture they they speak in allegory so the communicating with them becomes the primary um, uh, problem to be solved is how do you help someone when you don't know what they need right because they speak not just a language but you know it's one thing to swap one word for another word but they completely spoke in allegory so it's like you know well what's wrong well just like when David went to the wall. Uh, okay, I, uh, what happened when David went to the wall? Well, it was like Cersei in the beginning. So, if you don't know, <laughs> I think there's an entire Star Trek episode. Yeah, uh, new. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It has that. It has that problem in it. Right. Right. Very similar. Yeah. To that, um, this one expounds on that though, because you've got you know 300 pages or 200 pages, whatever it is to. Um, but it was a really good book, and, and, and I really, but again, a big part of why I enjoyed it is because of the, the, the hard science in it. So, and, and you know, and that's another thing, too, is that when we look at modern sci-fi versus sci-fi of the past, I think we see some, some differences there, too, because um, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Um, for me, and, you know, I know we've talked about probably Mary Shelley, was the first science fiction writer, but um, right there close by is Jules Verne, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, um, Lost World. And um, at the time, some of that would have been considered um, hard sci-fi. Yeah. But now I think if we look at it, it, it it's more like soft sci-fi. It's, yeah. it's much more fantastical than it is scientifical. Scientifical is that a word? Sign, it oh is my goodness! I think I just I think I just created a new word. Scientifical. It's called Webster's. <laughs> scientific. <laughs> uh, we just need a little strategery to this. <laughs> a little more strategery. <laughs> but um, 
So what sort of differences do you think, what do you see when you, when you look at um, sci-fi movies um, and TV books now compared to, you know, let's say 30, 40 years ago. Um, now, of course, your experience, our experiences are different because we do have a, a bit of an age gap between us of like less than 20 years. Yeah. But but we're still both well, you're still pretty well versed in older uh, sci-fi. I think for me, a lot of it is just, a lot of it has to do with our, our own technological advances. And you see that in the science fiction, you know, because originally you just had going to space or going to the moon or going to Mars or, you know, things, <laughs> things like that. Um, you know, but now you have planetary, ex, you know, interstellar ex, explorations and all that kind of stuff. Good Much, movie, Interstellar, by the way. That was, that was a good movie. Somewhat hard sci-fi, too. Yes. Um, I think that we, we see more technological advance and more ideas as far as what we can do with the future, if that makes sense. Say that again. I think that old science fiction was focused not so much on the future, but on just fantastical, fantastical elements that are futuristic, but out of this world. Okay. And then with modern science fiction, we are looking toward what is actually more of a possibility okay. of what we can do. I like that. I think that, I think that's, I think that's very succinct. And I also, but it also <laughs> brings me back to the whole thing of our obsession with dystopian stories. Science, a lot of our science fiction tends to be dystopian in nature, a, a future that's not bright, but very dark, very yeah. oppressive. And, um, and I, it, it makes me wonder about why, because if you look, I mean, even in um, the 1920s, 1921, I think, was Metropolis. Mm -hmm. Also very dystopian. Um, uh, Lang, Lang, Lang. <sighs> I can't remember his, his first name. Lang was the, the guy that did Metropolis. And it and it's, of course, that, that story is an allegory to the uh, international workers of the world kind of thing, you know, the, the, the workers uniting to overthrow their oppressors, but, but there were, there were oppressors and, and granted at the time there were oppressors, right? But you know, you, even now, you know, a hundred, literally a hundred and one years later, we're still uh, writing stories about a dystopian future in which the future is dark and we're oppressed and we're trying to break out of it. Uh, why, why do you think that is? Why, why do we, <laughs> Why do we have such a, a, a grim view of the future? I don't always know if it's because we have a grim view of the future. I think it's because we have that desire for the overcoming our oppressors and the future is the best place to put it because we don't know what the future holds so we can make it up. Gotcha. Um, kind of ties in with that whole fear of the unknown. Yeah. Because we're, we're kind of in the unknown. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, if you think about it, you can't always put a, um, as an example, you can't always put a good guy overcomes evil ruthless king in a period where there's no ruthless king. True. Especially with history. So you have to create either a fantasy world or um, a science fiction fantasy world. Right. Well, and I will say, because I, I, I think I said this offline, I, I do, when it comes to those, I don't, I don't seek out movies about a dystopian future. I, I come across them. Yeah. But, but I do, I do find that the ones that I enjoy the most are where there's, there's a glimmer of hope at the end of the movie. And I don't, I'm not saying I need a happy ending, but I do like one that's hopeful where it's like, okay, we've begun the process of uh, reclaiming. Yeah. 
whatever is it is we're reclaiming. Yeah, and I kind of like that too. I mean, I don't always like that fairy tale. Yay, everyone won. <laughs> I kind of like that. Hey, congratulations, the king's dead. Now what? <laughs> right. right. People tend to forget that whole. You literally just killed the emperor of space, and there's going to be a massive power vacuum that you just created. And you are probably not in the position to take that power vacuum over. So now what? Right. They didn't forget that part. And the, on, the only bad part of that is that sometimes when they decide that they're going to write or create something that tells you what happens next, they do a poor job. On it. Yes. Yes, they do. <laughs> you know, I, I, I do want some pragmatism and realism. Um, that, I mean, it doesn't have to be a lot, but, you know. It's got to be, uh, you know, I need to be able to suspend my disbelief. You know, I'd, I'd really like to see like a sci-fi or even doesn't have to be sci-fi, but a series where the protagonist in the first movie kills the emperor. Yay. The world is saved. And then the emperor's advisors are like, mm, yeah, not so much. And kill the hero at the beginning of the second, the, uh, the second movie. Because I mean, the advisors might still have the whole entire space army behind them. And this one guy just happened to assassinate the emperor. So it's like, yay, kill him now. And it's very likely that those advisors are oligarchs. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I'd really like to see where it's like a three part or five part series where it's just a whole bunch of the protagonist from this one kills the current oppressor for a new oppressor to kill the now, protagonist from the next one and then it has to be you know now this isn't a science fiction but a fantasy um ending that i always really enjoyed no matter what you think of the movie that i really enjoyed um that i thought was very introspective was that kind of it it, it you know fits in with what essentially what you're talking about is the original conan the barbarian movie with arnold schwarzenegger mm -hmm. right so at the end of the movie he finally gets his justice his revenge right and he destroys uh Tulsa Doom, um the 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 evil overlord played by cult cult overlord played by uh um, James Earl Jones. Thank you, James Earl Jones. I, I had the Earl part and I couldn't get the rest of it. Um, and and after he does so, the the last shot that we have of him as it fades, as it pulls out and fades to black, is Conan sitting on that guy's throne with his his chin in his fist, thinking, and now he's he's got this, and it's like, what do I? what do i do with it yeah because there's a comment that james earl jones that tulsa makes to him and says it says i made you you your entire path in life has been to come after me and so here you are what will you do next you need me right right and then he's like to hell with that you're, you're dead but then dude was right because now that he's fulfilled his destiny, what's, what's next? What's next? And then, and now that I think about it, they did the same thing with the Chronicles of Riddick. I'm sitting here thinking the same thing. When he's, he's sit after he takes out the, the, the head necromancer and he's sitting on the, on the throne because um, you keep what you kill. You keep what you kill. And it's like, crap. I don't want to be this an overlord of yeah. the whole necromancy. Well, what do I do next? And so, yeah, that kind of that kind of fits in with that. You know what? What happens next? Yeah. So, well, we're uh, we're getting towards the end of this episode. We're actually you know past the the, the time that we would usually spend. This has been a really good, as you can tell, Parker and I here are are big fans, obviously, of science fiction. And, just we have we have a lot of resources we have a lot of uh well as i like to say useless trivial knowledge in our head with regards to this particular pop culture but let, let's do kind of a little um let's do like a little lightning round here before we end um and i'm gonna i'm gonna start i'm gonna ask you and then uh, and then after you tell me your answer then i'll tell my answer so science fiction we're on the topic of science fiction 
favorite science fiction movie? Ooh, movie Aliens. Oh, uh, that's that's a good choice. That was really my first like major break into science fiction, you know, and that was at that age that I was all like, "Ooh, guns, explosions, aliens, yay!" <laughs> so to me, that was that was the that's my favorite. Um, I'm gonna say, and this is I'm going in the way back machine. Day of the Triffids. Uh, Day of the Triffids is one of the monster movies from the 50s. Just as scary now as it was then. It, it's a horrifying that. movie. So if you can, I don't know if you can find a copy of it anywhere, but um, I, that's probably at the very top of my list. And then, um, uh, you know, next would be any of the, probably Return of the Jedi. Uh, in the, yeah. Star, Star Wars is always going to be high on my list too. You know, I, I like the whole the whole idea of you know the the return, the you know, the the full the redemption as well as the you know Luke becomes fully um, realized in that. So, all right, uh, favorite science fiction TV show? Oh, that's a harder question. Um, <laughs> probably recently, I like The Expanse. The one that's probably going to be a little weird for some people is going to be Fringe. Oh, yeah. I highly enjoyed yeah. Fringe. Now, there are probably some other ones that I could probably say were my favorite, but this is the one that first comes to mind without me literally sitting here thinking and thinking for 20 minutes. Wow. Yeah, that was not, in honesty, I didn't, I didn't see it all the way through. I got kind of lost with it. Um, but I did see the first season and I, I was, that was my first introduction to JJ Abrams mm -hmm. and, and, and that was kind of, so then when I found out about lost, I'm like, okay, I gotta watch that. Yeah. See, and I still haven't watched all of lost. The, my wife and I binge watched lost and we just like, we deep, we dove into the deep end head first and enjoyed the hell out of it all the way through. We had no complaints. I know a lot of people did, but. We enjoyed it all the way through. People like to complain. But my favorite science fiction TV show of all time has got to be Babylon 5. Um, for me, part of it is because I felt like I was on J. Michael Straczynski's, I, I was on Straczynski's personal journey with him because I had read all of his articles in Writer's Digest as he was creating that story and trying to get the story produced and district, you know, all of that. So I followed along while he was doing that. And then when it came out, getting to see it and it being such a gritty um, science fiction show was so different than any other science fiction shows. The characters were, seemed so much more interesting. Um, so yeah, that was, that was mine. Um, favorite science fiction video game. Oh my! Um, I've played a lot of video games. <laughs> Fallout. Fallout's pretty pretty high up there. Uh, I'm a big fan of most Bethesda games, um, so it would probably be in there. There's probably a few. I mean, I I even though it has a lot of controversy, I enjoyed Cyberpunk 2077. Um, Oh, but that's another one that just—I'm not sure. I mean, so, there so might what? be something that might pop up in my head as we're as we're sitting here talking. Um, you know, I—I I think I really did enjoy the Mass Effect series. I, I never played that one. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 a big um, sci-fi series that I, I that I've in, that I've enjoyed. It also has its massive share of controversy right. and complaints and problems. Right. But, I mean, any game really will. Yeah, yeah. Mine, without a doubt, is a game called Masters of Orion. That's a good one. Too. Which was, of course, a civilization-building game where you had to terraform each planet. It, you know, it took time. There was resource management, which I'm a huge fan of. And um, so, yeah, that was. Yeah. Um, favorite science fiction book. Now, I'm not going to be as well versed on these because I have not read as much science fiction as I have fantasy. Um, but I did highly enjoy the uh, James L. Corey books, which are what the Expanse TV show is based off of. Oh, okay. I did gotcha. highly enjoy those. Um, I take that back. 
do a favorite Dune. Dune and the entire Dune series, um, those are probably my favorites. Awesome. Now, I could just rely on my answer from the last episode, favorite book, because my favorite book of all time is a science fiction, Voices of Heaven by Frederick Pohl. But I'm not going to do that because, for me, Voices of Heaven is so much more than just a science fiction book. Um, my favorite science fiction book is also Dune, um, because Dune is the is the book that made me fall in love with science fiction, number one. Number two, it was so eloquently written, so detailed. Um, I related to the, the main character of Paul Atreides. I, I'm a Paul as well. So, I mean, I, I fell in love with science fiction, and I fell in love with the author, Frank Herbert, reading the book Dune. And I was with him for the first three books. It wasn't until the fourth book that I got a little weird. <laughs> yeah, they, they do get a little, a little odd. Um, I've, I've read all six of the main books and several of the other ones and some of the ones that he right. wrote with Brian or the ones that were supposed to be written by Frank. But I'm pretty sure were written by Brian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, chapter, uh, right after Chapter House. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've read them all. I enjoy all of them. They do get a little hard to follow. Yeah. Um, How many golas of uh, Duncan Idaho have there been? Like 279? Enough. <laughs> yeah, enough. indeed. All right, we'll end the lightning round with those those four things, and uh, we will move along. Uh, we thank you if you have uh, uh, taken time out of your day, or maybe you're doing this while you're doing something else. That's pretty cool. Um, for listening to uh, High Culture with Low Friends, um, I'm Paul. Paul Wolf, I'm not Paul. I'm <laughs> I'm Paul Wolf Holloman, and I am Parker Black. And we sure hope you stay cultured, my friends. Bye. You've been listening to High Culture with Low Friends, a weekly odyssey of everything pop culture. High Culture with Low Friends is copyright and produced by Wicked Wolf Media Art Studios. Be sure to follow and subscribe so you don't miss a moment.